1: What are the things that really matter to you? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we are looking at a talk given by a Mormon apostle by the name of Ronald A. Rasband. He gave a talk titled, The Things of My Soul in the October 2021 General Conference. You can find the transcript of this talk in the November 2021 edition of Liahona Magazine begins on page 39. If you've missed the previous shows, let me just do a little recap. Rasband claims that he was asked by a female member of his church, "What are the most important things I should know? And so Rasband proceeds to give seven of those things that are very important to him. And as I mentioned, Many of the things that he mentions are not all that unique. I'm sure that they are things that many New Testament Christians have thought about and would probably put on their list. But it stems from a verse in the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 14.16, 16. And this is where Rasban starts to come up with these things that are important to him. So he asks the question what things do you ponder? What things really matter to you? What are the things of your soul? Today we're going to look at his third point and this is what he has to say. Third, love yourself. This is where many struggle. Isn't it curious
2: that loving ourselves seem to come less easily than loving others? Yet the Lord has said, love thy neighbor as thyself. He values the divinity within us,
1: and so must we. Let me stop you right there, because there's a couple of things that we can look at. I get from this context and what he's going to say in this section that he may be talking about people who fail to love themselves because of the shortcomings in their life, and he's trying to encourage them. But when he says he values the divinity within us, and so must we. So God values the divinity within us. What does that mean, coming from the mouth of a Latter-day Saint? Well, of course, it has something to do with not only our heritage, as understood by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we are the literal offspring of God the Father and one of his heavenly wives, But also, I think it has a reference to the potential that the LDS Church feels that every human being has as far as becoming a god, or at least being married for eternity to a god. Take, for instance, True to the Faith. That is a manual that is published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's kind of an introduction to the teachings of LDS theology. It came out in two thousand and four. What does it say on page seventy four?
2: You are a literal child of God, spiritually begotten in the pre mortal life. As his child, you can be assured that you have divine, eternal potential, and that he will help you in your sincere efforts to reach that potential.
1: And I think that's the thought that Rasban is trying to get across when he says he values the divinity within us, and so must we. That's not the only statement that we find that, that hints of this potential. There's also another manual, The Life and Teachings of Jesus and His Apostles. This is a bit of an older manual. It came out in 1979. It's Religion 211 to 212. On page 328, it says, We can become like God because we have the seed of deity within us. Now, certainly we would not go that far as New Testament Christians. Yes, we do believe that we have the image of God, the Imago Dei. But we don't believe that we have the potential of becoming a God. We won't ontologically become God as the one we believe to be God. For one, as I mentioned earlier in this series, God was always God. He did not become God by any set of circumstances or things that he did in order to bring that change in him. He always was God which certainly is different than the God of Mormonism. But when Rasband goes on to say in that same section under Love Yourself, he says, When we are heavy laden with mistakes, heartaches, feelings of inadequacy, disappointment, anger, or sin, the power of the Savior's atonement is, by divine design, one of the things that lifts the soul. Now, as, again, a New Testament Christian, I can say, yes in spite of all those things that I may go through and experience as a fallen human being, the atonement, as I understand it, certainly does lift my soul. Because I know that regardless of my shortcomings, regardless of my sinful nature, regardless of the mistakes I made, regardless of sometimes my anger or my sin, I still have that forgiveness of my sin. I'm still justified in the eyes of God. But does it work that way in the LDS church? And I would say, no, it doesn't, because LDS leaders have emphasized over and over that your repentance, your change, your your change in habit and such, is supposed to go into every area of your life. So if you still are an angry person, if you still, as as Rasban says, are in sin, if you are making mistakes— If you have feeling of inadequacy that are really your responsibility, how can you believe that your understanding of the Savior's atonement lift your soul? Now, certainly some of the things in this list come about with probably nothing on our part without us having anything to do with them, such as heartaches. We all go through heartaches. We go through relationship heartaches. We go through heartaches over what our kids go through and the sufferings that they go through, or maybe our friends and the sufferings that they're going through. Those are heartaches. Disappointments. Humans are going to disappoint us. They often do, and we can't help that. But those other things in his list, I think, are things that the individual are probably responsible for in some way or another, and if so... How can the LDS understanding of the atonement lift their soul in cases like that?
2: Look, I know what he's trying to say. Love yourself. We are made, as you said, Bill, in the Imago day, in the image of God. And so I do believe we have to understand who we are as people. But when you realize that it's not about us— but it's about him. This is different from the world's philosophy about being true to yourself, a very narcissistic society. Narcissism is alive and well in the 21st century. I think we can all agree on that. But I go back to what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 30. This is what he said. He must become greater. He's talking about Jesus. I must become less. I think one of the things about Loving yourself, you can't truly love yourself unless you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you love yourself without that, you are loving a sinful person who is separated from God for eternity. And that's not what we want. So, yes, I think we need to have positive uh, thoughts about ourselves. At the same time, we have to understand that it's all about Him. I must become less, He must
1: become greater. Now, this next section is going to be a little bit lengthy because his fourth point is keep the commandments. The Lord has made it clear, if you love me, keep my commandments. Strive each day to be and to do a little better and to press forward in righteousness. Again, this is not a unique thought. This idea of being better today than you were yesterday, but not quite as good as you want to be tomorrow, is something that a lot of LDS leaders have emphasized and preached about to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But when he says, keep the commandments, I think the obvious question is, well, how many and how often? And of course, every Latter-day Saint knows the answer to that. You're supposed to keep them all, and you're supposed to do it all the time. But I want to take a little bit of a different angle when it comes to keeping the commandments. And I think we need to talk about the stereotype that a lot of Latter-day Saints have towards us as New Testament Christians, as if somehow we don't look at commandment-keeping as being all that important, that living a holy life is not something we should be all that concerned about because we know we're justified. And certainly, that is a stereotype that is not true.
2: To prove what you're saying, Bill. Every time I've talked to a Latter-day Saint, and I bring up Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, one of my favorite verses to use in evangelism, we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. What's the verse that comes right back at you? James 2, 20. Faith without works is dead. And they have this idea by me emphasizing grace, that somehow I'm minimizing works. And that's not the
1: case at all. And I think that needs to be emphasized when we're talking to our LDS acquaintances. I love this quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, "...we do not then reject good works, nay, we embrace them and teach them in the highest degree." It is not on their own account that we condemn them, but on account of this impious addition to them and the perverse notion of seeking justification by them. And you could almost say that maybe Martin Luther was speaking directly to the members of the LDS Church because that is what they are doing. They might deny it to your face, but the fact is many leaders have said things that certainly it sounds like Martin Luther is criticizing.
2: Martin Luther also said this, Bill, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God.
1: And again, isn't that the striving of most Latter-day Saints that we've talked to? They're always wanting to make themselves good enough in order to qualify, and that's a word that the LDS Church uses, qualify, earn. These are words that are often thrown out in order to be in the presence of an all-holy God.
2: But when you ask the Latter-day Saint if they were to die right then, where they would end up, how many Latter-day Saints have told me— Well, I'd probably go to the terrestrial kingdom. They don't even think they're qualified, so they know very well that they're not good enough to live with an all-holy God.
1: Stephen Sharnock was an English Puritan. He lived between 1628 and 1680. If you've never read his book on the attributes of God, I strongly encourage you to do so. But he said, it is the disease of human nature since its corruption to hope for eternal life by the tenor of the covenant of works. What did Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, have to say?
2: He said, if we had never sinned, Our obedience to the law would have been our righteousness. But having sinned and being corrupted, nothing that we can do
1: will atone for our former guilt. And that's the problem with trying to be justified by our sinful works. It just doesn't work (laughs) theologically. But I, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. If you believe first, you may have as many works as you please. But if you believe, you will never trust in them. For... If you trust in them, you have spoiled them, and they are not good works any longer. I love that. Once you believe, once you're justified, go out and do as many good works as you could possibly think of, and certainly we would encourage the same thing. It's not that we don't believe in living a life of keeping the commandments— It's just that we don't believe that those commandments actually justify us.
2: One more real quick. Charles Hodge said, If the demands of justice were easily satisfied, if partial and perfect obedience and fatherly chastisements or self-inflicted penances would suffice to satisfy its claims, then the sinner need not be just with God in order to be saved.
1: So you see, folks, we are not saying that we should not do good works. We are not saying that holiness living is not a part of the Christian life. It most certainly is. In fact, it was J.C. Ryle who said that if you claim that you're justified, but I don't see any sanctification in your life, then you're probably not justified.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www. MRM.ORG, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.